What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. Stick and Ball TV is a baseball-focused streaming platform featuring the best coaches, players, and premium brands in baseball today. Stick and Ball TV creates and curates baseball training content, on-brand partner content, and original lifestyle content and publishes globally across their web, iOS, and Android platforms. Check them out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. Today we have on Tim Hill, head baseball coach at Moeller High School, 15th as the varsity head baseball coach in his 26th at Moeller High School. In his first 14 seasons, the Crusaders made seven trips to the state final four, including the 2009, 12, 13, and 15 state championships. Coach Hill is an eight-time GCL Coach of the Year, three-time City Coach of the Year, the 2009 Bob Summerall Greater Cincinnati Coach of the Year, the 2010 State Coach of the Year, five-time Defiance College Alumni Coach of the Year, the 2013 Cincinnati Reds and MSA Sport Coach of the Year, and the 2015 NFHS Coach of the Year for the State of Ohio. So on the show, we discuss the tradition and culture at Moeller, which includes Hall of Famers Barry Larkin and Ken Griffey Jr. And we take a ton of time on how to conduct in-season basically everything, which includes video, in-dugout conversations, practices, and much more. Here is Tim Held. Tim, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we were just discussing that uh, I had the privilege of having your cousin Tom on the podcast, what seems like uh, maybe a couple of years ago now. Great guy. And uh, I've been looking forward to having a conversation with you as well. Obviously, baseball runs in the family, I guess. And uh, and you're at Moeller High School. So I would love to hear just like tell us a little bit about uh, what Moeller is about, because I, I know you guys have an awesome, rich tradition. We were, you know, just chatting about some of the alums that you guys have. And uh, let's just go ahead and start with that, because I, I think that that would be an awesome place just to, to begin the conversation. Um, so Moeller High School is, uh, was uh, founded in about 1960, um, so fairly uh, young and uh, was put on the map, really, with uh, Moeller football and Jerry Faust uh, is really kind of where it went national. Um but the first team state championship was in baseball in 1972. So uh, our, our baseball alums are very proud of that. Uh, but when Jerry Faust made that jump from Moeller to uh, Notre Dame, um, and he was playing a national schedule in football, really, really put the school on the map. Um, and baseball-wise, uh, you know, the, the school's got over 1,000 wins in that. Uh, there are probably 1,100 wins now in the 62 years. Um, you know, eight state championships. Uh, two Hall of Famers and Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Larkin, um, and 14 uh, major leaguers have come through Moeller. Oh, that's wonderful. And so you uh, you mentioned that you were an assistant before you took over. And usually my first question is, you know, what is the vision that you had for the program? But you got the opportunity to be an assistant and probably get to take what you really liked already that you guys already did mm-hmm. and then get to merge it with what you were, you know, what you're wanting to do as an assistant. I think we as assistants would always do things a little bit different just based on our personality type. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit about what that transition was like. And it was it hard being an assistant and then then being the head coach with the same players that you had had previously? 
A uh, little different. Um, you know, what, what the good part was, you know, when I got hired at Moeller and um, I was 23 years old, um, I was from Northwest Ohio. So moving to the big city of Cincinnati and luckily one of my high school classmates and teammates already had a job in Cincinnati. So I had an apartment and everything. So I, I really didn't know, you know, all that went into Moeller. Um, so it was really good that I got hired, was teaching math there and was a freshman assistant. So I got to do three years as a freshman assistant. Um, and then a, a JV assistant left and I, uh, moved up and I was a JV assistant for two years. And then, um, uh, somebody else left a long time varsity assistant left. And so I was then a varsity assistant for six years. So I got to spend all this time learning about each level, which has now been, you know, invaluable. Um, once I became the head coach, um, and then working with Mike Cameron, who was the head coach for 39 years at Moeller, uh, leading the baseball program. Um, and he's coached guys like Larkin and Griffey and all Buddy Bell and, uh, all of his sons. And, um, you know, it just, the list is, uh, incredible of the guys that he's coached. Um, so being the assistant under him, um, and then, uh, he was great knowing that he was getting towards the end of his career, uh, of giving me and the other assistants, a lot of responsibility and really including us in a lot of decisions. So it made the, um, transition pretty seamless. And then becoming the head coach, I think probably the biggest thing I noticed was, uh, um, little different interactions with the parents. Um, when I was the assistant, they would come and ask a lot of questions. And, and now that I was the head coach, you know, um, that changed. So I, they, they thought, I guess, as the assistant, I did, I was just there to help drive the bus or something. And, uh, and wasn't the reason that their son was playing or wasn't playing or wasn't batting in a spot in the lineup, uh, that only the head coach made that. So, uh, coach cams was awesome. Um, you know, and really helped me, uh, in my career, uh, get it going and how to run a program and all that. And then once I became the head coach, you know, just tried to keep pushing, pushing forward. And, and like you said, instituting some new things that I wanted to do um, from attending the clinics and everything and, and that I wanted to throw into the program. No, I really like that. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is, is, is an interesting question too, is, you know, the, the first 100 days on the job, they talk about, you know, with the president and with, with any job, it's, mm -hmm. you have to go in and you have to, to really set the tone, I think. And you can overcome, you know, some, some minor things that may not go well, I, I think, but you, you, you know, you want to go in and you want to have everything laid out, but that's something that's not talked about enough, you know? And, and so when you transitioned, <clears throat> excuse me, from the assistant to the head job, so I'm, I'm assuming it was probably over the summer mm -hmm. and then you started this fall. So tell us, you know, tell us about what that first couple of months was like, because again, these players are seeing you from more, I, I don't want to say buddy of a buddy role, but it's more of a step back. Now I have to see the whole program rather than uh, being next to the players all of the time. Now we have a whole program uh, to take care of. And, and it's, it's a different relationship whenever you're making out the lineup versus whenever you're trying to push guys to, uh, to get in it or, or to continue to, to push guys to get a little bit better, which I'm sure you still do, but it's still, it's a different relationship, right. but right. tell us a little bit about what, you know, what those first couple of months were, were like, I know it was a few years ago, but right. what, what do you remember about that time? And are there things that you feel like you did well that you could share with us, or it may be anything that you didn't do well that you would wish that you would share with us that, that we could, uh, improve upon, or I guess, learn from your, from those moments. 
Yeah, uh, I got really lucky in that um, most of the assistants uh, stayed. So you had some really good, um, you know, continuity on the lower levels. Um, Like the the two JV coaches um, came and were my assistants and and filled those spots. Um, So we had, like I said, really good. And and I've always had a good mix of Moeller baseball alums on staff, which, you know, uh, makes things easier when they understand the whole school and the baseball program. Um, but yes, it was in the summer. Um, so trying to fill the staff, um, summer baseball in Cincinnati, the kids all go and play for different club teams. So you don't have a lot of interaction with them. So it wasn't like I needed to get a staff and make uh, really quick decisions because we had to start coaching them in the summer. I really wasn't going to be able to do anything with them until the fall. Um, so I had time there. And um, one of the things I do remember is my wife was pregnant with our, our second son. So, um, you know, uh, luckily he was born in the fall and not in the middle of uh, that first spring. Um, so I uh, had a little bit, uh, you know, able to take some time away there to, to help out uh, her. Um, but, you know, going through and uh, trying to then institute, you know, make the, our strength program, some different things I wanted to do, some of our off-season hitting and throwing that we were uh, allowed to do inside our rules. Um, but I, I really didn't have to change a lot of things. I think I brought in some more, like I uh, wanted to push, push it with more tech um, and, and some of those things that Coach Cameron, um, you know, wasn't comfortable at that time of bringing in. Oh, very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit, uh, you know, about uh, some of the things that you guys are doing. What does what does your off season look like? And kind of walk us through. I know the weather is uh, up north is a little bit harsher than it is down here, but tell us, you know, about your time restrictions, what you guys are doing in the fall, uh, what what training uh, you guys trying to get in, and how much time you've got. And if you don't mind, just walk us through that a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, in the summer up here, we're allowed to spend ten days. Um, with our kids, uh, fully coaching them so I could have the whole program out. Um, but once I have a seventh person out, um, that, that counts as a day. So as long as I stay six or under, um, I can provide what's like individual instruction, like kind of the college model. Um, but seven or more counts as a coaching day. So we got to be pretty strategic in the summer of when we want to open our facilities and make sure we're going to get a lot of guys there to take advantage of those 10 days. Um, August is a dead month. We're not allowed to do anything with our guys except they can do uh, go to the weight room with the strength coach. Um, and then starting in September, we, we a lot of the guys are in fall baseball or fall sports, so we take it pretty easy on them. Don't, don't throw a lot of baseball stuff at them. I open the cages a little bit here and there uh, when I know uh, they want to get in before weight room. And then really the, in the end of October is when when fall sports are kind of wrapping up, that's when we really ramp up our baseball activities and uh, make sure they're in the weight room three days a week, make sure each team is hitting one to one to two days a week. Um, and then really getting uh, focused on our individual instruction and, and really structuring it um, from getting catchers time when the, the weather's good and they can be out back where we have a turf soccer field and a turf football field, a um, lot of uh, hitting instruction and things that we want to put in. Um, and then that runs through, um, in Ohio, we start practice, uh, official tryouts and practice this year was on February 21st. So we do all of that from end of October through February 21st. And then it's, and then it's a sprint it's, uh, six okay. days a week and seven weeks of games. So how long, uh, after February 20, did you say February the 22nd to the start of the season? 
uh, yesterday, the March 26th was our official start day of the season. Um, in Ohio, nearly everybody canceled here because the, the wind chill was 27 degrees. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there was a lot of, a lot of cancellations. Um, and, and we, uh, we were really lucky yesterday. We opened a brand new baseball field. Moeller's never had its own uh, field. Uh, we've always been renting from public parks or had good relationships with different townships to use their fields over the years. Um, okay. And we finally opened a, a brand new altar facility. So mm, we, our game was awesome. canceled, um, but we still had the dedication and, and uh, ceremony and, and had all the, the donors out, the families out and, um, it was an awesome celebration. No doubt. So you've got a month uh, to really, <laughs> that yes, six days a week, that is a sprint. And so you've got this month that you've, you feel like you have to get everything in, which was, I, I don't know how Northern coaches do it. You guys are much better coaches than I am. And that is 100% truth because you've got, you know, you're probably not out on the field all that, all that time either. So you're, it's condensed down to a gym or, you know, an indoor. And so like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, it blows me away how you guys get, get teams ready uh, in that, that small period of time. But you know, what does the preseason look like? So whenever you start, let's say that you started yesterday, you had a month, what would you need to accomplish within that month to feel like, okay, I feel pretty good about where we're at. We're still going to add layers onto it, but I'm sure pitchers getting pitchers ready is, is a big one, but what do you feel like within that month that you need to accomplish to be able to, you know, to get your guys ready to go? Uh, you know, I, I mean, every day, like facilities wise, like um, since we've never had a field, like we're, you know, very drill oriented, um, Prior to 2008, we never really were outside cause until they turfed uh, the football field and soccer field. They, they, you know, they were never ready when they were natural uh, grass before, uh, you know, early April. So we were in like a 100 by 100, um, what we call our activity center, um, a couple of like tennis court size. That's where we did all of our work. Um, so in 2008, being able to be out on this turf soccer field and football field, we felt very fortunate. Um, but just kind of, you know, with three teams that we're trying to juggle, you know, we get basically get 75 minutes outside and 75 minutes in our cages. That's how we set it up. So we're just going through, of, okay, we got 10 to 15 minutes of base running. What do we, what do we need to accomplish today? So when we go into game number one, that we have uh, covered every single thing from every base and multiple base runners. And how can we do that when we're not actually on a field and make these drills uh, better, you know, to a team defense, to a skills. Um, and then over the years, what's really helped is, uh, you know, facilities like the University of Cincinnati or Prasco Park out in Mason um, who have put in turf fields um, of being able to let us rent them so that I can at least take the varsity down there so we can do pop fly communication. We can work double cuts on a real field. Um, cause you know, trying to do those on a soccer field with no fence and we're throwing them and they're rolling under this net or that net, or, you know, I got a guy trying to dig it out of a lacrosse net, uh, cause we, we threw it just perfect. You know, it, it's been some crazy situations. I imagine. Um, yeah. So now, uh, the last two years, knowing this field was going to be built made me a little nervous because I, I, I have to totally kind of restructure how we practice. And cause I, 25 years, I've never practiced on a baseball field on a regular basis. Sure. 
Yeah, I can I can feel all of the northern head like head coaches nodding with you right now, going, "Yep, yeah. I completely understand and empathize yeah. with that." Yeah. No, I love that. And and it's it's really interesting, you know, when you get coaches from different parts of the country, how they structure practices and and uh, it, it, I, I, I love it. And I, I think that, that that's that's awesome. But so uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how do you how do you conduct practice in season? So here we can play, you know, like I, I was talking to a coach yesterday and they had a district game rained out last week. So they're going to play Monday through Saturday. And whenever I was a, a coach in Texas, I think the max that we could play every week was three games. So you'd play like Tuesday, Friday, and then you'd have a, a game Saturday every now and then. So you'd play basically two games a week for most of the year. So let's start with, you know, how many games can you guys play a week? And then how do you use, you know, the the off days that you get? Uh, and, you know, how, how do you utilize those effectively? And what do you try to accomplish, you know, and, and just kind of walk us through. Uh, especially for you know new head coaches that are listening to this this time of the year this is their first year how do they can how what's the best way to conduct practice in season gotcha um in, in ohio we're allowed to play 27 games uh in our regular season um so uh, until about maybe three or three years ago or so um our regular season was six weeks long and then the the tournament would start so you had a six-week regular season and the tournament if you went from week one through the state championship it was four weeks so it was almost as long and you'd only play a max of eight games in those four weeks um, to win a state championship so 27 in six weeks and then uh, eight games over four weeks um, and then uh, to help with pitch count uh, rules and stipulations that the, the state put in we added a seventh week to our regular season so that's kind of helped spread things out. But in Ohio with our weather, there would be weeks where it would rain and you'd be rained out for three, four straight days. Um, and so your next week, yeah, you'd have six games in six days, um, you know, or loaded up that way. And I remember uh, it's like 2010 or 11. Uh, I, I think we were rained out like 10 or straight days where um, just the fields had no time to dry out. So you're trying to balance league games and get those in and everybody's, bouncing people around so i mean it's just crazy um so now i i think a lot more turfs coming in so it'll help you know everybody around here um but but really really tough so to your question uh, you know when we do have good weather we're probably playing now about four games a week is how i try and balance it so we can have a, a day off in there um as far as going to practice and then um you know it's it, Unfortunately, it's a lot of uh, what hasn't gone well in the last, you know, four games that we need sure. to touch up on. Um, but we try and spend time on our bunt defense all the time in the preseason, touching on that one to two days a week, whether it's controlled or a live bunt situation to our first third situations. Um, so when we are in season and I know we have that day that we're going to practice and, you know, like I said, it used to be on campus. Um, we make sure we got you know, always checking in with the guys, infielders, outfielders, how are your arms? Uh, how much throwing are you comfortable doing today? Or they're asking how much throwing are we doing today? Um, you know, we want to take a, a ton of ground balls, uh, but we're going to do some piece of team defense, touch on something, um, whether that's a short 15 minutes um, to just make sure, you know, hey, we, we want to add this piece offensively to our bunts. We want to uh, watch out when this team coming up loves to bunt in these situations. Um, so we don't do very much all year on kind of scouting report type stuff. It's more taking okay. care of ourselves. Sure. Um, 
and, and then we're ready for those situations. And then um, because then we transition and when we're on campus and we hit inside separate uh, in, in a, a four cage setup we have, you know, then it's the same thing up there, a lot of maintenance stuff and mm-hmm. um, kind of trying to individualize as much as we can. If we've noticed something with a guy swing and I got a good crew of, of young guys uh, um, that, that are uh, trying to put as much, take as much video uh, as they can at our games and put that on mm-hmm. huddle so the kids can watch it. The coaches can check on it. So doing that and trying to just get a maintenance piece and, and, but also trying to develop guys who, who are younger and not in the lineup every day so that next year we're, we're rolling right along. Sure. Well, let's, let's uh, unpack a few of those things. You mentioned huddle. I would love to hear how you're utilizing that. I know it's, it's mostly a, a football program, but tell us how, how you've used it for baseball. So um, I found a, a young guy, you know, a, about 25 years old that I uh, put something out on Twitter a couple years ago that I was looking for a director of analytics and video. And, you know, I got, I, I thought I'd get maybe, I was hoping to get like two people interested and got about 15. Um, so I had to start going through and finding out baseball backgrounds and all of that. So um, found this young guy, Ian Bach um, and Ian uh, uh, had dabbled with it, helps uh, do with the, been in the Reds and Astros organization, helping them do some things. And so um, Ian came to us and I mean, he's just running with it. So he'll mount a camera in center. Um, it's not a very expensive camera. And the first day I saw him breaking down the video in the office, I thought he was watching MLB TV. And then I stopped and it was our game. So this little $250 camera from, you know, 400 feet away has just incredible uh, power. Um, So trying to shoot from center to to see the pitcher catcher uh, hitter um, to be able to break things down there. And then depending on each field setup, he'll try and set up on a side so we can see the open side of the hitter, um, you know, so we can see some mechanical things. Um, and, and go from there. So it's a lot when you're playing four games a week. Uh, he sure. does an incredible yeah. job. I, I know the kids are checking in. I would love to say I watch every single game and every swing, um, but I know that my coaches are checking in, and, and it, it's good. The kids can text me and say, hey, can you look at this? And we can look at his swing three weeks ago to what it is now. Um, so it's pretty good. And then, and then we found some students in the school who are interested. So they help break down that video and um, kind of tag it all, who the hitter is, the result, and uh, it, it really helps to speed the process up for the coaches and the players. That was my next question. So we do like Google Drive, and we'll do it by inning, but we were looking into some different programs for just trying to be able to go back and find and t- basically tag uh, some different situations. So Huddle will do that, and that's that's a, uh, that might be a game changer for someone listening. I know, I know that that's something that I'll be interested in looking at. So you can go through and you can – uh, you can tag different things. Yeah, you can, uh, you know, it is set up for like, it's much better for, you know, football, basketball, um, with those setups, but it is, um, easy, you know, pretty easy to change all the column headings, um, so that you can put all that in pitcher hitter, the result, Um, and you can get pretty detailed. Um, I know you've talked to Tom Marker. Uh, he does a really good job. So I'll usually bounce questions off of him. Um, he, he has somebody that tags every like defensive rep and puts it into the kid's folder. So when the kid goes into his folder, he sees his offense, his defense, that we, we are not that detailed. So um, it's just each game and then the player can go through, find his at bats um, and, and check those out real quick. Or the pitcher can watch his whole inning 
as he's throwing. No, I, I love that, and I, I'm going to have to uh, text Tom about that and and see you know how they're they're doing that stuff because that's really neat as well. But you know, one of the other things that I think is really you know crucial, uh, especially you know for new head coaches, you know, if I took a head coaching role and you know trying to figure out what's my process during games. You know, you guys said that you've played four games a week. And I know that the few times that I've been, you know, a head coach of summer teams, you feel like you're getting caught up in the moment while, while you need to be thinking several, you know, at least batters ahead. And I would love to hear, you know, you've been the head coach for 15 years. What has been, what, what is your system or your process that you have in games? Like how do you stay, ahead of the game that's going on without getting caught up in it? And, you know, how do you make sure that you're getting everything and what what things are you looking to get done uh, in a game or things that you're trying to notice? And it's good to have good assistance for different things like that. But I'd love to hear just what, you know, what what your process is during a game to make sure that you feel like you're giving your team the best chance to win. Um, in game, you know, probably, you know, since we just kicked off our season, it's a uh... A lot of text flying between our coaches like, okay, here's our lineup. Here's what we think is our core lineup. And then, you know, talking about, okay, who, who's our, what defensive replacements do we need to make in the, the fifth and sixth? Who are our top, you know, pinch hitters, pinch runners? Starting to think about those things because, um, you know, I, sometimes I'll, early in the season, I'll catch myself. I'm out coaching third and it's fifth inning and a guy gets on and, and all of a sudden I'm like, I, I need a pinch runner. So I need to, I know I need to, uh, be sending this stuff and, and have the coaches thinking that way too. Um, so that we, you know, we, we kind of have those thoughts so they can yell out at me like, Hey, you know, you, you want a runner here and we know who we're sending. And um, especially if he's a pitcher also, we got to make sure that we've, we've included the pitching coach. So we're not all of a sudden send a guy out to first and we burnt one of the relief arms uh, as a pinch runner. So uh, really making sure we talk through those things um, ahead of time, uh, days ahead of time. and. Uh, into the week until you kind of get those roles developed a couple weeks into the season. Then it just all comes natural. And you look in the dugout and the guy knows he's already got a helmet in his hand because he knows he's going to get called on in the fifth inning if this guy gets a base hit. So really kind of being ahead of that that way, um, you know, and then the assistants who are in the dugout all the time, you know, being on the same page. Um, mm -hmm. But keeping it kind of a basic, uh, you know, keeping a tendency chart on the other pitcher, um, okay. so that the, the guy, uh, in the hole and, you know, fourth is, uh, checking those things as he heads out to the on deck circle. Are we seeing any patterns? Um, we kind of want to know if who's calling the game, is it the catcher? Um, or is it coming from the, uh, coach into the catcher? Um, so it's just, you know, knowing, uh, if they're getting into those, uh, kind of patterns, um, cause I think, uh, you know, catchers that are calling their own games will get into more of those patterns than a coach will. Um, who's been doing it a number of years. He'll change things up. So we want to kind of know that. Um, sure. I, I love, I love stealing bases. So we're always uh, on, you know, pitcher delivery times, talking moves, um, catcher pop times. We are, we're getting on those all the time. So uh, our kids are in tune. Um, so they know what, what's a really comfortable time for them to steal. And when they got to be a little bit more, make a better read and run it on curveball counts. Um, if, if they fall into that kind of secondary uh, speed category. I really like that a lot. So, you know, when you mentioned base running, 
there's, I think, you know, it's kind of like the special teams of baseball. How do you get guys to get over the fear of, of being thrown out? And, you know, is it something that you practice a lot? And I know I'm pretty familiar with Matt Tallarico's stuff and his, his biggest thing is you just got to get over the fear of, you know, of being thrown out and we, you can't like explode on them. If, if there's ever an opportunity, a learning opportunity that they do get thrown out in a bad situation, because I, you know, most kids want to be aggressive, but we kind of take that out of them to an extent, but I'd love to hear, how do you, how you, you mentioned that you're huge on it. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your teaching model and how you, how you go about, uh, I guess, teaching, uh, how them, how to be good base runners. I'd love to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, first I'm blessed with some pretty good athletes and a lot of speed. So, uh, that helps. helps. <laughs> yeah. That, maybe it makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, so we're, we're just constantly talking to them, you know, and, uh, uh, about taking those leads and what, and, and we're going to time them a few different times during the year from, you know, get their leads, stop them at 12 feet, um, and, and run straight through second base and find out, can they get there in, in three, four, three, five, three, six. Um, and then just, you know, teaching them about that uh, pitcher delivery time and the catcher pop time, that if those numbers are close to their to their uh, time running through straight through second base, that they can get there in a game because you also got the tag and it's got to be a good throw and, mm-hmm. and all of those parts. And, and the pop time, I believe the pop time that we see between innings or before a game is going to be faster than in game uh, because there's not a hitter in the box uh, between innings. Uh, they're not worried about blocking a pitch or anything because it's usually a great throw um on that last one they're sending down a second so i think that you know teaching the kids that piece of it that you do have a little bit of of a buffer and the first base coach is constantly communicating those times until we settle in um and then like you said like they get thrown out you know if you blow up on them um then they're not going to they're not going to run again so uh, just being patient with them, understand that um, there's going to be one or two guys on your team that, that it's going to take longer for them to understand a good situation and a bad situation um, and when's a good time to run and when it's not. And so just make sure you're communicating with them and teaching them um, and then uh, also talking to the whole team about that. Um, but getting them to understand, like, if you're afraid to get thrown out, then then you're not going to be a good base dealer. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're, you know, I think we're over 90% every year um, and stealing and, and, you know, we've probably been averaging 30, 31 games with tournament runs um, and stealing, you know, 100 and 120 bases a year. So pretty high success rate. Uh, 2015, we stole 150 bases in 34 games. Um, So just, and then getting them to to know like, Hey, if you run and you show aggressiveness, um, it's generating more fastballs for our offense sure. because the, the catcher, especially when the catcher's calling it, he wants fastballs. So he's got more time to try and throw you out. Um, so it helps our hitters out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was about, was about three years ago. Um, I, I think we were about nine, started the year out like nine and six and we just couldn't get going and get on a good run. And I, I started looking at our numbers and through those 15 games, we'd only stolen like 26 bases and only ran maybe 32 times so we just sat down had a talk said we got to run more we got to get going um and all of a sudden we started you know getting four bags a a game you know this one five six and then you know three um 
and as those numbers shot up over, you know, the, the record on the flip side was incredible. Um, we, you know, we went like, I don't know, 11 and four over the rest and our batting average went up and run scored went up and, um, just believe we got to get as many guys to second base as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's dirt ball reads, stealing bases, you know, whatever a guy bobbles one in the outfield, we got to get to second base. Sure. No, that makes a ton of sense. And you mentioned that you guys, you know, you have a sprint from, for the first 27 games, and then you've got more time during playoffs. So what do you feel like, you know, gets you guys ready? I, I noticed that you guys have been to the final four several different times. What do you feel like would, would using that month and then the, the extra practices that you've got, what do you feel like you need to do for, uh, and it probably, probably depends on the group too, but what do you feel like needs to happen within, you know, those, those first couple of weeks to really get ready for the postseason and to make a deep run? Um, you know, try and get into like a weekly pattern. It seems like a lot of times the games aren't until the end of the week. So you play that last regular season game on a Saturday and then you don't play till like Thursday or Friday. So, um, try and get on, you know, again, when we didn't have a field, uh, we would try and get on a field, um, you know, to practice. And then as the week went on, we would, um, be a lot of developmental stuff because, uh, kind of all the, the, the drills and technique stuff got pushed to the side when you're uh, in the middle of that season. So try and go back and revisit that from, you know, close quarter work with the infielders, uh, you know, it's the work on our double play footwork, really going back to those basics. And then as the week uh, amped up, uh, got closer to the game to, to, you know, making sure we're good on, again, all our bunt coverages, all of those things. And, and mm -hmm. then we're ready to attack that game. Oh, that's great. So with, with that, uh, I would love to hear, you know, I've got a couple of, of quick hitters for you and then I, I'd like to get into some culture stuff. But inevitably, I think there's always, you know, a drill or some different practice things that we do that our players really like and to, to get them loosened up or different competitions. So are there any drills that your players love or different competitions that we could steal from you? Oh, um, yeah, that, yeah, you're right. Anytime you get them to compete, man, it changes things. Um, you know, so the monotony of uh, we were trapped inside with some bad weather a couple, mm -hmm. you know, uh, three, four weeks ago during practice and last week as well. So, um, you know, I just went, went up, sat upstairs one day and, you know, we have a, a, a hack attack. We have another, um, we have the sports tutor home plate machine that can randomize pitches. We have those things and, um, have hit tracks. So we just made three competitions, you know, a, a bunting and hit and run and had a coach charting things. Um, to, so are they executing to playing the quality hit game on the hit tracks? Um, so just, you know, trying to find a way that, you know, as I'm a math guy and, and so I, I like to things to be going in order, you know, this, uh, how we go through our week and everything. So for me, it's kind of out of my comfort level to change things like that, but knowing they need to do something different, um, and just totally changes up how that schedule goes. So trying to create those competitions upstairs, um, when we're in our cage time, when we're trapped inside, uh, has been really good. Um, you know, trying to spread that, you know, to the JV and freshman coaches as well. So they're, they're mixing things up, um, you know, outside, you know, just, uh, you know, the clinic, the ABCA was awesome this year to, to give me some new stuff to do, um, for on-field BP to make it more game-like, um, 
and the, you know, it ends and I'm always asking the coaches and players, how was it? And they're like that, that new one that we did, that was awesome. You know, like uh, with the base runners and playing, you know, whatever sure. it was a guy from um, Rio Grande Valley uh, playing every sixth one live, you know, like the, the kids love throwing the ball across the infield, playing all the ground balls during the round and, and then having the live situations and a catcher in there calling out plays. Uh, really helped us, you know, speed up and, and get more game-like out of our BP. Well, that's really cool. Well, let's talk a little, you, you know, you mentioned the different levels of, of coaches that you've got. So I would love to hear, you know, from a, from a program perspective, how do you, how do you make sure those guys, you know, I, I was like, you even mentioned you were a freshman coach or a JV coach. I was the same thing whenever uh, we both first started. So how do you feel like you, you try to help them, you know, be feel like they're communicated with and part of the, you know, sometimes you feel like you're on an Island as a, as a freshman or JV coach. How do you feel like they're to make them part of the, you know, part of the whole program and how do you develop those guys? Because, you know, eventually you went from freshman coach to now the head coach there. How do you, you know, help develop them into the role that they want to eventually, you know, if they want to be head coaches, how do you help develop them in that way? Well, uh, my, my freshman head coach, uh, this is his 32nd year as the freshman head coach. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so you don't get much more lucky than that. So, um, you know, he he gives them, uh, coach Ron Roth gives them a great base, um, as to what they need to do for Molar baseball. We keep big rosters on every level. So he does a great job of getting them all some time, um, and, and, making sure is, is molar baseball, like what they want to continue with. And are they willing to put in the time to, to try and be that varsity guy? They see all the time, our older guys spend in the weight room. Um, so he gives them a great base and, and Eric Schmidt, uh, who's a 2007 molar grad um, is with him and Eric uh, teaches in the building. So those guys are kind of tag team and as co-head coaches of the freshmen. So um, when you have a, a veteran, like uh, no uh, coach Roth, um, it, 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 I know I, I was an assistant under him, you know, when I started. So, um, it was awesome to have, uh, to know what he's thinking and what he wants to do. Um, and then my JV coaches, you know, the, the head JV coach, uh, um, was a head coach at a number of other high schools, um, and then, uh, jumped on board with me. So to have his experience and, and knowledge, um, I really don't have to worry about them. We spend a lot of time with the freshmen and JVs, uh, coaches and players through our off season, through the weight room and strength and conditioning. So um, get a really good feel there and just try and include them in all our conversations. And then we really don't separate until that February 21st. And then it's kind of, we're all in changing after school to get ready for practice. And then um, we see each other at the end of practice because we're all kind of mm-hmm. going different ways and different facilities. So trying to touch base with them as much as possible on what they need and what their players are doing. And uh, in case we need to, to, you know, start shuffling guys because of a need or an injury or something. For sure. And, you know, I think one of those, uh, one of the things that is really important, it definitely helps to have a guy that's been there longer than you, uh, mm-hmm. but just creating a, a an excitement and, uh, you know, especially with the tradition that you guys have, I'm, I'm sure that that is super helpful seeing, you know, two Hall of Famers uh, every single day is is really, really exciting. But tell us a little bit about, you know, th- just the culture that you're trying to build, how you trickle that all the way down. And then, you know, what is what is being a Molar baseball player, you know, look like, feel like how give us a give us some insight into what's really important and things that you hold really tightly to the program. 
Uh, a good question. Um, I think it helps tremendously because I'm a teacher in the building, um, you know, and, and the guys have seen me come up through the different levels now that, you know, the group now only knows me as the head coach. And um, what was really awesome that I didn't throw in there before is that coach Cameron, who was a head coach before me took one year off and then he came back and he's been helping me with the freshman and JV programs um, until COVID. And then he stepped aside. So, and you have the, the head coach of 39 years um, come back and he's coaching your JV and freshman, then you're really comfortable with the guys that you're getting. Sure, um, that's cool. So, so it's really awesome. So, um, you know, being in the building, you know, uh, w- with our culture, you know, coach Cameron was uh, one that uh, um, he, he had a number of rules. And so what I found and um, our basketball coach, who's a, a legend in Ohio as well, um, Carl Kramer, um, I coached basketball for five years under him and he didn't have many rules. You know, it was, you know, we're going to do what's right and we're going to do what's right all the time. And so one of the things I changed pretty early is I did not put out a list of rules um, so that we weren't constantly going, Oh, you, you didn't do this piece. You didn't do that. And, and cause if the kids see you're not going to enforce every single one of those rules, they're going to ask you why you chose to enforce the ones you did. So kind of threw all the rules out and I really don't put many out there other than we're going to do the best all the time. Um, we're going to touch every line. Uh, we're going to hold you accountable. Um, and, and and all the coaches are on board with that. And, uh, you know, trying to get then the kids, the older kids to understand if you do it, the younger guys see that. And then it just, this thing just feeds itself. Um, and, and, and they take care of all those, those issues. Um, which are very, always pretty minor. Um, but you know, you're dealing with high school boys, so there's going to be some that test, uh, you and you got to be ready, um, in any of those situations. But, um, I get pretty lucky as far as uh, the competition is so, uh, pretty fierce at Moeller, uh, in the, inside the baseball program that they're pretty good about towing that line and, and being on time and being accountable, working hard every single day. Um, because the guys who don't, you know, end up, weeding themselves out by the time they are juniors they they don't even end up you know trying out for the varsity no doubt no doubt really good so that's that's so how so you go from uh, i would like to hear how that transition was so you go from a guy that you know everything is is cut and dry were there any moments that you had that you can think back and go okay we we had this standard or we had this rule and uh it wasn't upheld or maybe some different examples of how they police themselves and uh, the different conversations behind that. Because I think, you know, with, with a lot of coaches, we have different things that we, we value and that we hold true, you know, standards, rules, whichever uh, you prefer. But I would like to hear, you know, we're in the business of changing behavior. And if they have something that they're not doing that we want them to do, we have to change their behavior to get them to align with how we expect them to act. So I would like to hear, you know, what are some different examples of behavior change and how you get players to, uh, you know, uh, get on the same boat or like you even mentioned, getting off of it before their junior year. Mm -hmm. But how do you uh, are there any examples of some different players that are maybe harder (laughs) to to Mm -hmm. to get going in the right direction? And you you know, you want to give them a ton of credit and and some different opportunities, uh, but they may have been a little bit harder than other ones to to do that, and maybe a success story or or any any and all of that. I know I'm just kind of throwing a ton of stuff at you, but right. 
examples are always super helpful whenever you're dealing with situations like that. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I believe, and I don't know if the kids would agree with this. I believe I have a pretty long fuse. Um, but when it goes, it goes. So we all have, you know, where, wherever our, our snapping point is. So, you know, I usually start out pretty patient in the fall and the winter, but, um, the way things are going with summer baseball these days, um, in Ohio, like the club level that when we play our last game, they're gone. And some of these guys are playing on national level teams and they're not even in Cincinnati more than five days in the month of June. They're all over the place. So, um, and they're playing from with teams from different States. They're not even playing with teams from Ohio anymore. So they kind of get, my sense is they have a feeling that they're out. How do I make myself better? And so yeah, Moeller very much, you know, school ball, like we are what's best for the team. So trying to get them to make that transition of um, using the summer and the fall as your individual development to make our team better. Sure. Um, yeah. So you'll have some that'll come in and, uh, and occasionally like it's whatever we, we want them to wear a, a molar t-shirt, um, you know, with all the social media, you know, you can watch all the teams that they're always putting video up of their um, in the weight room of their practices. And, you know, I want them to wear a molar t-shirt and be like, Hey, did you see this team uh, work out? Did you see them in the weight room? You know, we have a player, let's say we had a guy at Louisville a few years ago. I said, you see uh, Nick, in the in the weight weight video uh, weightlifting video yeah coach i said did you see they all had the same shoes same socks same shorts same shirt yeah i said so well you want to go play college baseball yes well then you need to wear a molar shirt i've only given you five over the last you know two years you know if you need a bigger one you can buy one but you gotta wear a molar shirt so you got some that kind of will just fight you on little things like that um and the guys, I think the older guys now come in and they're like, coach, are we picking, are we wearing shirt, certain shirt colors on certain days? I said, it's whatever you want. So we'll, you know, walk out there now and they'll be Monday. They're wearing a blue shirt and Wednesday they're all, everybody's got a gold shirt and Friday they're all wearing a gray shirt or whatever. But the kids all put that together and they're not, they'll get on other guys. Like, why are you wearing gold? Today's, you know, Monday we wear blue. Um, so that's, kind of uh, culture piece that's come on um, sure, that's and, cool. and it doesn't have to be the same one where we don't have that kind of money um, to get, you know, 60 guys who are working out in the off season, all the, the same, the same uh, shirt for three different days, but getting them to understand with as many guys that want to, that can go play college baseball, like need to, to do that piece. Um, so that's a small thing. Um, when we start working out in January, um, we had a Saturday morning hitting session and the varsity always goes at 8 a.m. And uh, stretching is at 745. And, and I tell them, look, it's Saturday morning. Um, typically, I want you here 15 minutes early. So we know we got everybody. But Saturday mornings, you're probably at the basketball game the night before. I need you here at 744 for stretching at 745. And if they're and that clock turns 745 and they all jump into the cages to stretch, Anybody who comes up the steps has to vacuum for 15 minutes. You know, the facility gets dirty with everybody that's up there. So they're on 15 minutes of vacuuming. So they're going to help make the place pretty. <laughs> um, sure. it, they're like, I was only 30 seconds late. Should I vacuum 30 seconds? Nope. You know, 15 minutes. Um, so we'll do that a couple times. And if the guy starts getting a little habitual, then, then we have to change uh, that consequence. Um, but, you know, they, they, 
pretty, they figure it out pretty quick. And, and I tell them like, you know, everybody's going to miss an alarm somewhere. Everybody's going to wake up and their car was iced over and it took you longer. I said, but we're going to, you got 15 minutes of vacuuming. Now you let your teammates down and now, um, you need to fix it. So next Saturday you need to get up 20 minutes earlier, check your car, get it de-iced, um, before you come in, set four alarms, all of those parts. So usually happens, you know, to a couple guys, um, the rest of them learn from it. Uh, and like I said, the facility gets a little bit cleaner. No doubt. Uh, I really like that. That's a, that's a good, a good way to, uh, to, to do it a little bit differently. And yeah. I, I think that, you know, we, we get, we get a little bit, uh, I don't want to say closed minded whenever we just make them run. So I like the, the yeah. open thought of <laughs> making them vacuum the locker room. That's really yeah. good. Any, anything, yeah. you know, anything that we can do to, to get their behavior to change some guys, like you, you make a cross country guy go run and it's like, okay, that that's probably right. not going to do it. Right. But you give him a vacuum and say, Hey, go, go vacuum for 15 minutes. That's a pretty good, yeah, and, I like you that. know, and, and I'm also helping them out because some of them, I have to teach them how to turn on the vacuum. <laughs> so the life skill that's going to serve them well, in the future. See, I would have been the kid that if I was late, I would have just brought a Roomba. Uh, there you go. There you <laughs> go. Some of them are like, how, where do I plug this in at? Where, where's oh, the power? Good. So like that's you need so to, to help mom and dad out at home a little bit more. Sure. No, for sure. Well, I've got a, uh, two quick hitters before we go. And uh, Tim, I, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. It's been really, really good. Uh, but I do want to get to know, you know, your mind a little bit better. So, you know, what is, what is a resource advice or just something that that's made you a better coach, uh, that you would like to share with anyone listening? Oh, I mean, I, I love the clinics. I mean, I, I have not missed, uh, the national clinic, uh, went a couple times when I was assistant and I did not go my first year. I was the head coach, but the last 14, uh, that they've had them, I've been at every single one of them. I do not, do not, would not miss that. I've been to the state clinic like 27 years in a row. Ohio usually has about a thousand people to its state clinic each year. It's like one of the largest, I think, besides Texas. So just the, the, the amount of things I've picked up from those clinicians and then just all the people talking at night, um, is incredible. Um, and then, you know, being an ABCA member and now they're, you know, giving you all the videos and all that access, uh, it's incredible. The, the amount of hours I have passed on the treadmill, uh, watching ABCA clinics, um, sure. has made that time go much better, much faster. So just, uh, the knowledge from there, um, really during COVID, I dove into, to all the, like, uh, Eugene Bleeker and the farm system, uh, is where we're doing a lot of our hitting stuff from now. Um, those guys, what they're putting out, what they're making, um, has been, has been really great for our kids. Well, very cool. And then I've got, you know, one more for you. What is something that you, or maybe even the most recent thing or the, or the thing that comes to mind that you've changed your mind about and why did you change your mind about that thing? Oh, that's a tough one. I saw you had that on the, the list. <laughs> uh, I was like, I gotta think about that one. And, um, yeah, I just, I try and keep an open mind. Um, you know, the, the coaches come with stuff, um, trying to think of something, um, you know, pr probably like, uh, we won't say that I bent over the last four or five years, but when all the, you know, I don't want to call it a launch angle swing cause I've never believed in that. Cause we've had hit tracks for since 2014, mm -hmm. but I, I do, um, 
think that when the kids, high school boys get stronger, that freshman, sophomore year, and they really develop physically and get stronger, and they go in there with a hit tracks or Rapsodo hitting, and they can just turn on a baseball that's been underhand flipped to them um, to see that, that if you're not careful with that, um, you got to constantly communicate with them. So I can't say that I I bent and said, we're going to, that's how we're going to hit. But that was such the rage and how every kid thought he had to hit um, that it was really tough fighting through that. Um, And I think now we're kind of over that hump. And I think my hitters now all understand that um, we do have to hit line drives. It's got to be, that's got to be the middle. Um, And then that will produce hard ground balls and that will produce our, our doubles in the gap and our, our home runs instead of starting at the home run type angle. Um, and then our miss hits will be doubles. Um, no doubt. So, so it's been good. Um, you know, to, you know, tried to work with them. And like I said, I have a long fuse. And so, you know, but trying to get them to understand you can't stay in the lineup if you got in Ohio and it, we're playing and it's 39 degrees or 42, like it's not flying. Um, so you can't be hitting that many balls up in the air. You're not strong enough yet. So I don't think that answered your question. No, uh, I, I think that yeah. that's a, a very worthy discussion. You've, you've got see what I see with when you have these different, you know, revolutions or data or thoughts, you know, sometimes we leave out different, you know, we, data can be very biased as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, if, if you're, you know, I, I, I use DBU as an example, cause Hefner's awesome. Yep. And they play in a hitter's park and it blows out a lot. And it's like, okay, like that's like, he's, he's developed a system and, and a way uh, guys that he recruits, they can pull the ball in the air and hit balls out. And then in, here in Oklahoma, we have that sometimes too. And then we've got like, like you said, the opposite of, of where it's blowing straight in. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, we played a game a couple of weeks ago that was 40 miles an hour and humidity and, and literally, we had we had a center fielder playing in front of our logo on on turf, uh, <laughs> and it was literally like 180 feet away, and nobody could oh, hit man. it over his head. And so it's like, okay, we got we've got to be able to adjust to this, right. otherwise right. we're not going to be we're not going to be able to win games, and you're not going to be able to to do that half the time. So you've got you've got to right. be adjustable, and you know we talk about adjusting to pitches, but also adjusting to conditions and and uh, as well. So I you know it, it, with any revolution there's always, it's always somewhere in the middle. You've got someone who has a a very original thought with good intentions. And then you've got, you know, people who take it to the extreme on that thought. And then you've got the other side who's fighting for it to be the complete opposite of the extreme of what that thought is. And then you've got most people who are somewhere in the middle trying to figure out what actually is going to work best, which I think, you know, which I think you and I are are both trying to figure that stuff out too. And then you see the stuff on social media, which the kids all read, but uh, but that's what we're here for. And, you know, that's, that's right. why, that's why we, we do what we do. But Tim, I, I appreciate you, man. And, uh, I appreciate you. We, the last like 30 minutes, we haven't been able to see each other because the video went down yeah. on whatever we're doing, but you've been an awesome guest and I want to give you the opportunity, opportunity to, you know, leave the guests with whatever you'd like to. So I'm going to mute myself and then, uh, then we'll end this thing. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Um, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, we're all in it, I believe, cause we love the game and we want to help, uh, uh, you know, for me, help out high school players to, to reach their highest potential and, uh, whatever level you're at, um, just to keep, you know, stay true and remember what your purpose is of helping those kids out, um, uh, putting them first, uh, makes it all easier and, and makes the whole thing worthwhile. 
uh, as you see them go. And like I said, for me, seeing them from when they enter as freshmen, um, from all over uh, the city of Cincinnati to when they graduate, uh, it's just a great, great feeling. Um, and like to feel that I've uh, played a small part in that. Um, and if anybody wants to reach out, um, you know, I'm on, on Twitter, you know, it seems like a little bit less and less, but uh, at Tim Held uh, is my personal and then at Big Mo Baseball um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then you can always email me at theld at molar.org, T-H-E-L-D at M-O-E-L-L-E-R dot org. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you are listening. I also wanted to remind you that you can find the video portion at the AOTC channel on stickandball.tv. Have a great week.